Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream and links to all the social media sites you could possibly want, where we simulcast the show every morning, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, etc. Also, the podcast and more, and broadcasting live across the state on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the 6 O'Clock Club. It is the Michael Duke Show. The 6 O'Clock Club, of course, is just the free club for all of you who bothered to wake up before the 7 a.m. hour and join us here on the program. We appreciate you guys coming on board and joining us this morning for the Thursday edition of the Michael Duke Show. Uh, By the way, being brought to you today by your friends over there at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com. Uh, That's where you go for any kind of communication needs in the state of Alaska, regardless of where you're at. They are the wizards at getting you internet, uh, text messages, phone calls, emails, whatever it is, they can find it. Uh, It's all out there, again, at SatelliteWest.com. Special thank you to them for sponsoring this hour of the big radio show across the state of Alaska. Well, my friends, uh, Thursday and our quest continues to get as much information on as many people as we can for the general election, which is just seven weeks away now, uh, under seven weeks away as we approach, rapidly approach November the, I mean, seven weeks till November. I, What happened to my summer? I mean, at least it's not raining this morning. I mean, where I'm at. Maybe where you're at, it's still raining. But I walked outside this morning and the dog was like, oh, man, it's not wet. Thank goodness. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they're hesitant to go out in the morning sometimes because it's raining so hard. It has been for like a month. So who knows? Maybe today it'll be nice and sunny. Uh, I don't know. It's pitch black out there right now. Uh, Another... Another artifact of the late summer, but uh, at least it's not raining. I hope it's nice where you are, and I hope you are. Uh, uh, I hope you're ready to go. Six o'clock cl- uh, club members, you guys are in for a treat this morning. We've got some headlines for you here to begin with, and uh, we're then uh, we're then going to be diving into it with some candidates. This morning's guests include Roger Holland who will be joining us. He is fighting a desperate battle uh, down in Anchorage in his run for re-election in uh, in the state Senate. You'll recall that Roger Holland had overcome um, Kathy Giesel for the Senate seat back in the day. But thanks to ranked choice voting, Kathy Giesel, who had been defeated in the primary before, is now back in the general. And Roger Holland is uh, fighting for his seat there in what is the new District E, 
And uh, he's going to come on board here in hour one and talk with us about that in just a, a few minutes. Then in hour two, we're going to go out to the Alaskan bush and we're going to talk with candidate for Senate District 5, Willie Keppel, who is in Quinnahawk, which is uh, it's out near Bethel. Uh, just for those of you who don't have a map and don't know where it is, uh, Quinnahawk is out in uh, out near Bethel, and he is running in the race against uh, the longtime Senator Lyman Hoffman. Uh, and we'll get a chance to chat with him and uh, get his take on it. Coming up in the next week, uh, we have got a lot more candidates. Um, like I said earlier uh, this week, I sent out a huge email, and oh my gosh, there are so many, been so many respondents. Uh, Andrew Gray is going to be joining us on Monday, along with Les Guerra. As I said earlier, we might be calling that one Blue Monday, uh, just because uh, we're going to have two of the more liberal candidates on the program, but we welcome them. I can't wait to have some discussions with them and interviews. On uh, Wednesday, we've got Arthur Surkov, who's going to be joining us, and then Kathy Hensley and Louis Flora. Uh, on Thursday, it's there's, there's so much, so much stuff going on. Uh, and I'm already I'm already starting to book out like three weeks in advance at this point. So uh, there will be no shortage of political talking heads to be with us here over the next uh, few weeks as we get into this. My goal is to reach out and try and get as many candidates on as possible. And in some of these heavier races, I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to see if I can work out where we can do some head to head debates. On the program, I think that would be, uh, I think that would be good radio. So, we're going to work on that and see what we can come up with, um, and we're going to try and work with some of the candidates on getting all that squared away. So, be assured that that is on my mind here as we continue on forward. All right, um, I somebody just said doing a snow dance. Stop! Stop! Nobody needs no, 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 no. Nobody needs snow, right? Somebody says doing a snow day. You people, we're going to have seven and a half, eight months, some, in some places, nine months worth of snow. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. That's a hateful, hateful statement. And we don't allow hate speech on this program. I'm just, that's just, that's some hate speech right there. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's dive into some headlines and talk about uh, some of the things that are going on. I'm trying to decide what I want to really face in. You know, I, I find it interesting that this is the, um, uh, that these stories about the Anchorage School District and their budget deficit uh, has continued to hog some headlines. I mean, I think the ADN has done two stories. I believe that the one I'm looking at this morning over at uh, KTUU, Alaska's news source, I think this is the third story that they've done about the budget deficit facing the school. And while I understand that it's kind of a slow news time and everything else, but it just seems like that's all they're focusing on is how this deficit and, you know, it's because the state won't give us more money and uh, and all this other thing. And, of course, this latest story highlights um, somebody called it the Washington Monument Syndrome the other day when we were talking about it. You know, the, the, that is the – and I think they were using it as an example of – remember when the federal government shut down? They took um, They took barricades 
walking barricades and they put them around the Washington Monument because they were shutting down the government. You couldn't possibly just walk up to the monument and enjoy it without governmental supervision, without having a government employee there. You couldn't possibly just stand in the park and enjoy it. Um, And I think this is an example of that. You know, it's any time that a politician is not getting their way or getting what they want, in this case, more money, more, you know, more, that they will they will hurt you. They will hurt you for that. Uh, again, I, I reminisce on the time when uh, uh, Governor Tony Knowles was facing a budget deficit. And what did he do? He decided to stop plowing the roads between Fairbanks and Central. And I think he stopped plowing the roads, if I recall, between Fairbanks and Glen Allen as well. Um, and of course that was just because, oh, we're just out of money. We just can't afford to maintain the roads anymore, even though that's obviously a mandate yet at the same time. Uh, and, and I think they were only $150,000 short for that portion of the, whatever it was, but I still recall that they were going, they were still went ahead and spent 500,000 plus dollars to pave the back parking lot of the, uh, DOT facility, uh, off Pegger road in Fairbanks. And, and I'm just like, okay, I, now look, I know it's capital versus operating and everything, but you put the money in the – you're telling me that you you would rather pave a parking lot in the back of a facility that has not had a paved area for – you'd rather do that than keep the roads clear for the citizens. You know, it's like when the school districts, when they cut the music and the sports budgets and the math tutors and the things that can make or break and make a difference in education. But now the was just can't do that. We're just going to have to cut it because you guys aren't giving us enough money. So anyway, the Anchorage school districts, $68 million budget deficit, which... Again, the, a couple of the stories at least had said this is not something that just happened overnight. This has been like six years in the making, which tells me that they have not been very um, stewardly <laughs> with their money. They have not. If they knew this was coming, if they saw this five or six years in the making, you think that they would redirect this. You know, it's like, what do you see, sir? Well, Captain, I see an iceberg ahead. Well, we probably should spin the wheel a little bit before we strike it. But, you know. Let's just, we'll just continue on. Maybe it'll move out of our way. Maybe it'll move out of our, oh, it didn't? It just ripped a hole in the hull? Well, we thought it was going to move. We had five years to change the direction, but we didn't. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what's going on here. $68 million. So anyway, the Anchorage School Board uh, met yesterday to continue discussing the budget revisions And the CFO, to his credit, Jim Anderson, shared with the committee that his goal was to keep the process of allocating funds transparent to the public. Great. I mean, that's what what should be happening. It's public money. I mean, it should be happening. But he did say transparent doesn't mean easy. So now he's gathered together a bunch of school principals and asked them to identify where potential budget cuts could be made. And then they're going to receive student activity data where they're going to try and figure out how to redistribute funds. And he said the district is also going to start evaluating in October next month which schools could be closed or merged together. Um, I mean, I just it, it it's just this it's this sort of Damocles, right? It's this threat. It's this, you know, hanging over your head. Well, if you don't give us what we need. Then we'll close schools. Okay. I mean, you guys already can't get buses. You guys can't get people. I mean, 
how reason number 417 why you should homeschool your kids right here. I mean, these people, obviously, they had a five-year head start on this budget deficit. They knew it was coming, didn't do anything, knew that the school busing issue was going to be a problem, still haven't done, I mean, well, they're desperately trying to do something, but instead now they're only providing busing to one-third of the student population in Anchorage. Matt Sue's facing the same problem as well. Uh, and y- these are the people that we trust with our kids. That'll be fine. Thank you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this, I, this this whole thing. I mean, that's what kills me. $68 billion. They could see it was coming, but they just, you know, it's always, well, we'll just wait. We know the state's going to bail us out. We know that the state is finally going to step up and bail us out. We We know that, no, no, you see it's coming. Turn the wheel. Don't just assume that some act of God is going to move the iceberg out of the way. Don't just assume that global warming is going to melt the iceberg down or that some, you know, rogue wave will wipe it out of your way. You might want to turn the wheel a little bit. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, no, no, we, we know that they're going to they're gonna come do it. It's fine. Like, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Oh my goodness. That's that's what it's all about. Um I was going to get into this other story about Alaska Airlines, the woke airlines and how the the wokeness. I love how when we watch this stuff where people start, you know, the people of different ideologies start eating their own. We talk about the Republicans doing that and the left, they do it too. And uh, Alaska Airlines, the woke airline, is uh, is facing some of that same kind of runoff. We'll we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about that here at the end of the show, uh, but it is a ooh baby, ooh baby. All right, well we're up against the break. Uh, we're going to get all this squared away. I see Roger Holland is in the green room, and we're ready to go. We're going to be joined by Senator Roger Holland here in just a moment. Meanwhile, like I said. We must take the required commercial break, and we will be back. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget you can also come out and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Show. And uh, talk with us during the break and do all that kind of stuff. Come on down. Come on down and be with us. We'll be back with more right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Well, and we're in the break. Good morning. Good morning to you. How are you guys doing? Uh, are you ready to rock and roll? I mean, am I off base on this? But man, if I was captain of the Titanic and somebody had given me some warning, I'd have been like, no, it'll get out of our way. We'll play a game of chicken with this iceberg. It'll be fine. Don't worry. God will save us. Uh, you know, he helps those who help themselves. So maybe you should spin the wheel a little bit. It's just insane. Insane. Uh, and they've still got a bunch of money in CARES Act uh, funding, as Kevin McCabe points out. Um, it's 
It's just, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, all right. No drivers, not their fault. Yeah, but they should have been working on this, Jim, the whole time. This this whole time, they should have been working on that. And the busing is not mandatory, but but people have built their whole lives around the fact that they have built that, that they've done that busing, that they've been doing that for years. So, I mean, you know, being an apologist for, for their lack of forethought and for their lack of ability to plan and maneuver around this is not helping. I mean, yeah, you know, they, they, this is the stuff that should be being taken care of. All right. Let me get over to, uh, let me get over to where I need to be here this morning. And that is over here with uh, Roger Holland, who is our guest for this morning. And, uh, we're, uh, having him join us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Very good. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming on board. Uh, you ready to dive into the nitty gritty to get all dirty and filthy in the world of politics. I mean, are you, are you ready for all that? I've been, I've been, uh, saturated in it for at least like 21 months now. So, uh, yep, I guess I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, for those of you who don't know, Roger Holland's famous quote is the dumpster fire quote. And that of course (laughs) is now in the theme song for the show. I thought it was so appropriate to try and describe the show that I thought this would be perfect, that this is a dumpster fire. So, uh, now, Natasha also did have a quote this this year. She stood two feet from me, uh, stood up and said, we have more money than we know what to do with. And still, we, I'm, this is my part of it, and still we can't pay the PFD. Yeah, we still can't pay the PFD. That's exactly right. We got more money than we know. I should go find that one. That would be a good one to yes. pull down. Yeah, we need to get that one as well. Um, all right, Roger. Well, we are about um, – uh, we're just doing under two minutes left here. Let me uh, – Put you in the right location, and uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get things all squared away here, and we will be joined by you in uh, just a hot second. So uh, don't uh, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna put you back in the green room for just a minute while I read some of the comments that are going on in the uh, uh, tra- uh, the the the, uh, the chat room. <laughs> Dwayne says, "I love this." Lol, the Titanic will strike up the band. We're all going to the soup lines. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's like the band is playing and they're like, we can see it from here, but, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, uh, Michael Dukes, what district are Port Graham and Nun will like in? Well, I don't know. I'd have to Google it. And uh, I'm in the middle of uh, I'm in the middle of thinking about the show here. Port um, Port Graham um, um, uh, voting district uh let's see let's see uh what does it say uh port graham um i'll tell you here just a second port graham is in uh house district seven House District 7 is Port Graham, which also includes English Bay, Anchor Point, Diamond Ridge, Fritz Creek, Ketchumac Bay, Homer 1, 2, and 3, Kasiloff North, Kasiloff South, Nanilchik, and Soldovia. Port Graham is in that district. So uh, that was my that was my Google foot. Nanwalek, I, I don't uh, – I'm not sure here. Nanwalek. Nope, it's not even it's not listed there, so I don't know. It doesn't break it down quite that far. But Port Graham is in District Seven there, uh, Greg. I'm only here to help. I'll be here all day. 
All right, you ready to go? Let's jump back into it. Roger Holland is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Good morning and welcome back to the program. We're continuing Hour 1 now with uh, candidates and guests uh, on the program, political candidates for office for the general election. We're going to uh, continue here now and uh, dive into it. We're going to continue here. We're going to start now with Roger Holland, who is um, a candidate for uh, House District uh, I, they keep they keep changing them on me. It's House District or Senate District E, rather, Senate District E, which is in Anchorage. And Roger Holland joins us this morning to discuss this and uh, and everything else that's going on. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Uh, how are you doing this bright and early morning? Doing very well. Doing very well. I'm I'm the current senator from District N, um, yeah. which is uh, South Anchorage and the Muldoon Curve, and and now I'm a Senate candidate for District D, which is uh, Southeast and Southwest Anchorage, uh, all the way down to Whittier. I've complained about this for years, uh, Roger. Why do they keep flopping the districts back? I just get them learned. It takes me five years to learn, six years to learn where they're at. I get to use it for a couple of years, and then they totally confuse me again as to where everything is. But it's uh, it's good to have you on the program. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on and and being part of it here, uh, today. Um, yeah, for with uh, just real quick with redistricting, I thought we were going to tweak the edges of the district yeah, or yeah. something like that. No, they just they wiped the whole board clean and started with like uh, kindergarten finger painting, just started putting colors out there all over again. Yeah, I mean, you could see some of it, and especially in some districts that we were talking with Mike Shower yesterday, where they cut whole chunks off the district or carved a big U out of the middle of it for people that he'd been representing for years. It's the same kind of thing, you know, and I, I the whole redistricting thing. You know, and, and we've seen it across the country. This is not strictly an Alaskan problem, but the gerrymandering that goes on with the different political factions inside of a redistricting plan, it's just insane. I mean, let's face it, the last, what is it, six, uh, five of the last six redistrictings have been decided by the courts, not by the redistricting board. That's how political it gets. It just, it's... And- and, and my district, half of my district was paired with Eagle River. Right. Uh, and there's absolutely, I mean, there's like Crow Pass across the mountains is is the uh, common portal between the two districts. I'd have to go through or touch nine other districts to go from one of my districts to the other one of my districts. Yeah. And and yeah, they, the, the, the courts came back and pretty much said, yeah, gerrymandering's wrong, even when Republicans do it. It's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, it's frustrating. It's totally frustrating. And you are facing something that's rather unique, which is uh, what I like to call the Republican on Republican violence, uh, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and I want to talk about that. But first, for folks who don't know who you are or haven't been paying attention uh, or maybe have heard your name and maybe you represent them, but they haven't met you yet. Give us a little bit of background about who Roger Holland is and then we'll get into the uh, then we'll get into the uh, political fisticuffs here. Uh, so uh, a lot of people don't realize I'm a biologist. Uh, I, I am. I jokingly say I, I play a politician on TV, but uh, I'm late to the game of politics. My wife and I, we were uh, both born and raised in 
New Orleans, Louisiana. Our daughters were born in South Louisiana and Lafayette, Louisiana. My wife was working for the USGS. I was working in a variety of locations uh, with as a biologist. We had an opportunity uh, for her work to come up here and in 2009. And we thought, man, when are you ever going to get a chance to live in Alaska? So, so we jumped on board that, loaded the kids up, came up here. I found a job. I had a little bit too much gray hair to convince them I could do field biology up here. And I didn't know cold weather camps, didn't know caribou or moose or anything. So I took a job with DOT working in a calibration lab and uh, did it for 10 years and uh, did great work for 10 years. Really enjoyed working in the state metrology lab. Uh, I could have done it for another 10 years without a problem. But uh, around 2019, it had just gotten to be, I mean, really around 2016, I thought, uh, the Senator Geisel had kind of gotten off the rails a little bit on the path. And uh, by 2019, I made the decision. I had to quit a perfectly good job. And and uh, and I didn't think I had a chance of winning. I, you know, I had hoped to win or lose by 10 percent uh, in, in the primary in that in uh, 2020. And but I, I thought it was important that that we give voters an option and that you know, somebody stand up and say, you're doing a bad job. Right. And and all I did was ran on fairness and following the law. I was 57, 58 years old, never, never, uh, never involved in politics. I mean, I, I track politics like everybody tracks politics on talk radio or on the news, news or whatever. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I took the jump and um, and beat uh, Kathy Yeasel by 30 percent in, in the primary in 2020. And uh, was uh, victorious in the general election and uh, went to Juneau and was asked, did I want to chair the Senate Education Committee? Right. <laughs> I thought I could just go to Juneau and sit around and say no to stupid spending. I didn't know that there'd be right. like, this crazy work to do. Wait, there's homework? I, I mean, I didn't sign up for this, right? <laughs> yeah, imagine. I mean, you know, it. You, you, every bit of your job is uh, videoed and, and saved for all posterity. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a big change. It was a pretty big jump. I'm, I am a very quiet, personal person, and uh, I am not uh, such an extrovert, I don't think. Um, it, it was a bit of a challenge. Right. Well, and, and then interestingly enough, as you said, I mean, I think I was I like you was uh, was shocked at the uh, because I was not a Kathy Geisel fan, had not been a Kathy Geisel fan for a long time. And uh, and and I had hoped that somebody would run against her and that that it would be a pretty tight and contentious race. But obviously it wasn't just me. There were many people in the district, obviously, who were not happy with what Kathy had been doing and had done. And uh, and I think that that was uh, that was shown in that 2020 election. Then we get back to the redistricting thing. We get to that, you know, kind of thing where they start carving things out. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, again, the Republican on Republican violence. I said, this is the Re- Republicans are very good at doing one thing, circling the wagons pointing inward and shooting each other. Now, this normally takes place in the primaries, right? They normally just kick the crap out of each other in the primaries and and go negative and do all this kind of stuff and ad hominem. And then the primary's over and everybody finds religion again and kumbaya is behind one candidate. But because of ranked choice voting now, uh, this stuff is all out in the open. And uh, quite honestly, I don't think Kathy Giesel would have stood a chance in another primary because, again, uh, I think those sentiments still reign supreme uh, in most of that area. But surprisingly, 
um, in this last election result, we saw Kathy Giesel through ranked choice voting come out um, uh, with a really healthy number. And that is super troubling for me. We don't this 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 state is not so much a left right dichotomy. It's not so much a Republican versus uh, Democrat kind of thing. What we really have in this state is we have a pro government spend, pro big government spend versus a pro private sector spend. Like they will always prioritize there's one group that will always prioritize government spending over the over the public economy, over the private economy and um and and or, you know, government and union spend over uh, anything else. And I think that's where we're at. We're at the pro-government side or the pro-big government spend side versus the pro-private sector side. And I think that you fall squarely in the camp of the pro-private sector. Am I wrong? Yeah, there's a, there's a certain group of people who'd love the permanent fund dividend, to, uh, pardon me, the permanent fund to hit the $100 billion mark, $120 billion mark. We'd have enough money to run government forever, especially if we weren't paying that dastardly permanent fund dividend. And, you know, the, who would live in Alaska? You'd have like four groups of people living in Alaska, state, federal, municipal employees, military. And it would just be this great big giant park that uh, you wouldn't need anything else because uh, the permanent fund would pay for, for all the needs. Um, I, I do think the permanent fund dividend is important. It is our link to the permanent fund. Uh, we don't pay taxes in Alaska. You can't look at what goes on in Juneau and say, you're wasting my tax money. Um, but, but you know, our interest in government spending is focused on our fiscal connections, a permanent fund dividend. And, and I do believe it's important that we should follow the law or change it. And that was one of my big problems uh, with Kathy Giesel so many years ago is she spanked Governor Walker's hand the first time he took the permanent fund dividend in 2015. She was elected in 2016, and she was happy to take it every year after that. Exactly. I mean, she had a I still uh, somewhere got a copy of the video of her using sitting at her table with here's your wallet and here's it. And this is what Governor Walker did. And she ran on a whole policy of I can't believe he took your PFD. And then the second that she got into office. She was very happy to take your PFD and more and continue and then continued to rule the Senate as Senate president with a tyrannical hand, um, you know, silencing people, uh, ousting people, breaking the breaking the rules of the binding caucus, arbitrarily making decisions on her own. Uh, and in fact, surprisingly enough, somebody brings it up in the chat room. Thank you, Care, for reminding me. Kathy Giesel actually appointed members of the redistricting board <laughs> that has now then redrawn the district lines, maybe to favor certain candidates in the race at this point? Well, I don't want people to be uh, too too disappointed. I mean, ranked choice voting is doing what ranked choice voting is designed to do. Um, it is, uh, you know, you look Mike Schauer, a great senator out in the Valley. Um, he, he had a bit of a surprise. Um, uh, Mia Costello, another great senator here in Midtown. Um, she's, uh, they, they each have only one uh, opponent in their races and they're down six or seven points. I have two opponents in my race, a Republican and a Democrat, as much of a Republican as Kathy Giesel is. And, and I'm down 5%. You know, it's, uh, I think ranked choice voting is doing what it's designed to do. It, it prevents us from primarying out bad candidates. And, and I do think, I mean, we, we had 11,000 people vote in the last uh, primary election. I think uh, we had 11,000 people vote in the 2020 primary election as well. 
we had 21,000 people vote in the general election in uh, 2020. Uh, there will be uh, primaries are still uh, driven by the left and the right vote. You get the the special interests getting their their uh, you know try from the mentality of driving you know selecting your candidate. The general population uh, shows up for the general election, and I do believe that uh, we'll, we'll we'll perform much better in the general election on November uh, November eighth. Let's talk a little bit here about, uh, you know, some details of the policies and the budgets and things like that. Now, as I said earlier and, and jokingly said earlier, I mean, the <clears throat> the whole dumpster fire comment, when you when you hear that in the in the theme, he said, this is a dumpster fire. The full quote is this budget is a dumpster fire. And I, I, I clipped the budget part of it out because I wanted to use it for the theme. But you were talking specifically about last year's budget. And uh, and which I thought was interesting. Now you have this year's budget. And if last year's budget was a dumpster fire, uh, could we classify five dumpster fires? I was just going to say this is a dumpster fire wrapped up inside of a train wreck, inside of a plane crashing, inside the Titanic sinking. I mean, is that kind of a am I am I wrong or what? Well, people ask me, what, what, what's my biggest mistake as a senator? And I'll tell you, my biggest mistake was before I was sworn as a senator. And it was to join the Senate majority where we thought Bert Stedman would be a fair co-chair of finance who would, who would do what, what we were promised would be done in, uh, in, in the 2021-2022 uh, uh, session. And so my first chance to see the budget was around May 9th. And um, that was when we, uh, that's real close to that date where we added the 100 million for the Port of Anchorage, 100 million for the Port of Nome. We added 30 million for the Matsu. We, we uh, put the, um, the permanent fund dividend uh, in, into the budget, the, the larger one. Uh, but, but who built that budget? That budget was basically built by Senate Finance, who was Bert Stedman, Natasha von Imhoff, uh, you know, um, the Click Bishop. And and the House leadership, uh, and it's we still got have the same people building these huge budgets that we've had over the years, and and I regret. I mean, we were we were fighting hard to get a conservative Republican as a co-chair of finance, one of the two co-chairs, when we were doing our negotiations back in uh, 2020, and we just couldn't swing it. We 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 thought we we're at risk of losing uh, the uh, the even being in the Senate majority if we if we uh, pushed it too hard. And that's that's one thing, even if I'm not here doing this job next year, that's one of the things I will be encouraging the next legislators, the next conservative Republicans. We need concern. I, I think the most conservative uh, person on Senate finance was probably Senator Bill Wilikowski. I'm not quite sure right. I don't want to keep throwing too much shade at the, like <laughs> Senator Wilson. But, uh, you know, it's like you, you look at who 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 the uh, who the both finance committees are made up of. And you wonder why we have a $17 billion budget this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we're talking to Roger Holland, who is a candidate for Senate District E, uh, currently a senator for District N. We're going to continue here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. We'll have more discussions with Senator Roger Holland here in just a moment. Back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. I'll have a bit of I'll have a bit of my morning bite, which is a which is our a, light, uh, our guide, and our trusted friend. Michael Duke Show. 
Okay, we're in the break now. Sorry, <clears throat> Roger was talking over my thing. What 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 did you what did you say, Roger? I did, I had to mute you there for a Sorry second. I didn't know if you'd heard. I I popped the top earlier, and uh, I didn't know if it went through. I uh, no, I, uh, I I need my morning coke to get up and roll it out. Oh, I don't do no. the coffee thing in the morning. We we missed that. We missed that. That's okay. Uh, we're all we're good. All good we're all good to go. <laughs> Uh, you know, Roger, I think, I mean, you said earlier that you're not an extrovert or you're not extroverted enough to come out and speak and, and do this. This is the hard part for you. You're doing fine, you know, and and I think the more you do. I've been out of practice for a bit, too. It's a lot of one-on-one going door-to-door right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get out of the habit of being in, on the on the TV screen like we do in the committees. Right. No, and I think it's, it's easy. You forget it's there after a while. You just don't even, you know, you don't even think about it. So. Um, as you said, I live half my life uh, underneath the microscope, it seems like. So it's uh, not that uh, not that big a deal. Um, you know, uh, I want to keep some of this stuff for um, I want to keep some of this stuff for the coming back on the radio since we're just here with you and me and 65 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, et cetera. But um, I, I will I, I will say this, you know, you said earlier you, you had hopes that the Senate Finance Committee would. I mean, I know that there were promises. I know that there were promises by the Senate president that uh, the that the Finance Committee would execute the will of the caucus. That was kind of the, how it was put, that that when they go into that, when they do the work, and especially when they go into the conference committee and have the have the jo- conjoined budget there, that they would be executing the will of the caucus. And yet that never happened. It, it never seemed to happen. We saw bills get snubbed. We saw things get shot down. We saw, again, this was not this was not the Senate majority's finance bill. This was the finance bill of the the usual players, the business as usual crowd, the Burt Stedman, the Click Bishop, the Natasha. The, I mean, you know, we know that those are the people that that made those decisions. And it seemed like the will of the majority, especially the conservative part of the majority, was basically just kicked to the curb and given the proverbial finger at this point. Yeah, the 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 fiscal plan working group. Bipartisan, uh, Bush Village, Urban. We had we had all these uh, legislators come together in 2021 after the general session, and you know that that momentum died because of Bert Stedman's $1,100 PFT that year. That was the one piece that I think we we really had to bring. We we were not allowed to vote on that uh, on the PFD until like the last day of the third spe- session and the House had already gaveled out. And so we knew it was an empty vote. It was a meaningless vote. Uh, we actually passed the uh, compromise PFD and then and then the uh, Democrats apologized when they did it. They they rescinded their vote because they realized that the, the PFD would go back to the zero dollar amount that the governor had vetoed earlier. And uh, yeah, but but for Bert Stedman's crazy clinging to this eleven hundred dollar PFD, we we lost the fiscal plan working group opportunity that year. Right. And well, that'll be one of the things I'll be looking forward to uh, in this next session. That's that's the thing we have to do. We have to we have to get this cycle of boom and bust done. We have to we have to you know uh, once again revisit that fiscal plan working group. And 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 pull some of those things out of the uh, the uh, cobwebs and 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 that that's where we need to go. 
yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this is, again, this is a battle between, this is a battle royale between uh, the business as usual crowd and uh, the, you know, the, the, the bigger, the big government crowd where we need to protect the government spend and the people who are fiscally conservative and the, the fiscal conservatives on both, in both chambers have been treated really like redheaded stepchildren. I mean, they've just been put in the corner uh, and, uh, you know, and kind of slapped around and they just said, you know, shut up and sit down. And 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 we had a conversation the other day with Senator Rob Myers, who had some great analysis of why we have these differences in the state. Why do we have Republicans that appear, um, you know, on the surface, they carry the R and the elephant on their lapel. But when it comes to the execution, why are they so pro-government? And he had some great analysis of the fact that Alaska was historically a democratic state. And we've slowly, through the Reagan revolution and things like that, we've slowly Come, become more socially conservative, but overall they've maintained all those Democrat pro-government uh, ideals even when they became uh, conservative. And I think it's also because we are disconnected from the size and from the cost and from the spending of the state government. As you said, we don't pay any overt taxes, and so we don't ever see it in our hand. But we are paying taxes. It's just it's going straight to the government. That's the thing. It's like the oh, old- yeah. cutting, cutting the permanent fund dividend yeah. is the biggest, most regressive tax there is. Two-year-olds are paying the same tax that I'm paying. Two-year-olds right. are still losing out well, on their dividend. And I, and I would make the argument that even I mean, that yes, that the dividend cut is a tax. But even before that, it's like the ultimate withholding tax, right? All the revenue goes straight to the state, and they spend it as they want and give us whatever's left over. And that. I think is the mistake. Hold the line for a second, Roger. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Continuing now with Roger Holland, candidate uh, for Senate in District E, uh, currently serving as senator for District N. Uh, Roger, I was just saying that, you know, you mentioned it earlier that we're disconnected from the taxes. We're, we're disconnected from the cost of government as citizens because we don't pay any overt tax. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not taxed. First of all, you and I both agree that any cut to the permanent fund dividend is a regressive tax on Alaskans. I think we can both agree on that. But really, there's this overt tax that we don't see. It's a hidden tax. It's like the ultimate withholding tax where all the monies, all the royalties, all the corporate taxes, everything that the state gathers goes straight into their coffers. It does not pass through the hands of the people. And then they spend it as they see fit and uh, but but don't worry. Hey, why are you complaining? You don't have to pay any taxes. Well, that's because you're taking all the money ahead of time and spending it as you want and giving us what you feel is our due when it's left over. That's the problem. I mean, I've advocated for years. It'll never happen. But I've advocated for years that they ought to cut every Alaskan a check for all the royalties for everything because we're the resource owners. They should cut us a check and then issue us a, ta- a tax bill uh, the next there day. Is a, I, I've heard I won't name names, but I have heard legislators discussing that 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 would truly you know that 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 gives us it gives everybody a real feel 
for where the money comes oh, from and where the money goes to. There would be a revolution in this state. If you received a check for $15,000, $18,000 for every man, woman, and child in your house, and you received that check, and then a, a, the next day or a week later you received a tax bill for $14,000 for every person in your household, there would be pitchforks and torches lined all the way up down to Juneau walking on the water to get there. I mean, that's what would happen. But we are so disconnected, we can't check it. Now, you've mentioned... Uh, during the break, you mentioned the Fiscal Policy Working Group. Now, this is a group of separate legislators that came together with the most politically diverse viewpoints you could possibly imagine. Um, and they, uh, you know, they came together and they actually agreed on something. In fact, they agreed on a series of steps and plans, different options, and said, we could do any one of these things, but we have to pick one. And we have to do it Holistically, we can't just pick it apart and take one component of one plan. We have to find a plan, do it, and fix spending, the cap, the revenue, uh, the, the, the PFD. We have to solve all of the issues together. And yet the leadership in both the House and the Senate just said, yawn, thank you for your service. And they put it in the drawer. And nobody ever – I mean, it was mentioned on the floor, but nobody ever brought it up and used it as a guidepost. There was no – uh, there was no discussion. There was no presentation on what happened. Um, I mean, this was a pretty good roadmap for what we could do to bring the state back in line, don't you think? Yeah, they, you know, um, I was chairing education and we had pretty much run out of things to do by the end of March, early, maybe by April. And they asked me to pick up judiciary. And that was a lot of what we were working on at the time, at the end of the general session was some of the pieces we thought for that effort. Um, the the uh, the spending cap and you know, there was a lot of pressure. A lot of people don't don't may may not remember the uh, price of a barrel of oil was like negative dollars for a short period of time. It truly looked bleak, and we had like you'd mentioned this disparate group of legislators. Some were from the urban areas, some from the bush, some Republicans, some Democrats, uh, liberals, conservatives, and and they basically came together everybody walked towards the center. And I believe that whole effort died for the lack of the ability for us to, to accept the compromise that was offered on the permanent fund dividend. And uh, that, that one thing, that was the final piece that we just couldn't get across the finish line. And uh, the end of the third special session, that uh, it, it still wasn't resolved in the fourth special session. I think we gaveled in and out for a day or two or something like that. We just realized the effort was, was gone. Right. Well, it's frustrating. And I, I, for one, would hope that you would support the use of the Fiscal Policy Working Group uh, documents and plans as a roadmap and a blueprint for what uh, we could do in this upcoming session. And I think that's that's so much of what we need to do as a state. There's there's a lot of people who are interested in trying to, uh, you know, increase spending in uh, in education. Well, you know, we did. We we the the Alaska Reads Act has about four hundred million dollars in extra spending outside of the foundation funding formula over the next ten years. Um, we did a small increase in the BSA, but the problem is, I mean, there's so many people, <laughs> so many groups wanting to find benefit plans right now. We we have got to get our spending under control before we look at what, what's the next what's the next effort we're gonna to do to work on teacher uh, retention or firefighter retention or law enforcement retention. I mean, we have got to get this fiscal policy figured out for, at the, for the state 
So we're just not doing these boom and bust spending efforts. You, you were looking for a word when you said effort, and I think you meant boondoggle, I think, is the is what you were looking at. <laughs> um, you know, look, um, so many problems in this state. We still can't get our spending under control. We had more money than we knew what to do with, and yet we couldn't still constrain the spending or fully fund the PFD. Uh, we, we constantly are running from feast to famine in this state because we're a resource state and we're dependent on the market price for oil. And yet we continue to run from one side of the, I, I'm, I'm reminded of that Pirates of the Caribbean where they're running from one side of the deck to the other back and forth to try and roll the ship over because that's what we're constantly, oh, we got way, we got way too much money. Oh no, we don't have enough money. Oh, we got way too much money and nobody can ever fix it. Now, earlier you mentioned- And, and I just say real quick, a lot of that problem for, focuses around Senate Bill 26. That's the, these golden handcuffs we put on ourselves a couple, I wasn't in the legislature at the time, but I think we're, I think we're starting to see that um, that is the uh, SB 26. When people talk about overdrawing the permanent fund, well, yep. no, thank you. The permanent fund is doing just fine. What we're doing is we're overdrawing this artificial construct that we use right. to basically restrict the permanent fund dividend. Well, and if SB- we only allow ourselves X dollars. Yeah, SB twenty six is in direct contravention of the statutory dividend, and they created a statute that conf- directly conflicts with another statute without ever fixing anything. And so now you're faced with a devil's bargain of which one do you choose? Uh, because you got to follow the law, right? Hashtag follow the damn law. Yeah. But you created a law that is in direct contravention with the other one. It's it's crazy stuff. Now, earlier you mentioned that one of your major disappointments or one of your major regrets is joining that caucus early on and doing all this. And so Chris, uh, who's on watching us on Twitch this morning, asked the question and said, if reelected, what steps would you take to ensure majority caucus leadership is not packed with anti-PFD legislators? I mean, I think this is a legit question because we're having this is always, it seems to be, a an organizational problem. We're always organizing around a group of people who are business as usual, old guard, protect the government spend crowd. We may have the majority be conserve fiscally conservative, but if the if the majority that gets in there in the leadership is is uh, old guard, then we're stuck. So, what would you do to ensure that a majority caucus uh, is not packed with the anti PFD legislators? I think if you polled the uh, Republicans in the majority in this last session, they will all admit to a person, or at least the ones who are in the know, that I was the last person who joined the majority caucus effort. And um, the I, I <laughs> Mike Shower says that I joined wanting to quit because it just felt like we just were not making progress. And that's what we have to we have to be unafraid to not join this majority effort. We as a as a conservative Republican, I give my whatever I have, my clout, whatever, to the majority. Let them form the majority. They build crappy budgets. We take the blame. I don't. I didn't vote for the 2021 budget because it was such a bad budget. But they go across the aisle. They go to the Democrats. They get the votes to pass the budget. Well, so so why not just make them form a coalition? With the Democrats, right. I mean that's that's really what we have to do. And and I, like I said, I that that that's it. It's we're going to have a hard time forming a, a pure Republican majority anyway this year. You look at the list of who's going to get in. I mean, I think Forrest Dunbar has a real good chance of being a senator in the next uh, in in the next uh, session. Um, we we lost four 
Republicans from the majority. And, um, you know, they weren't the strongest conservatives by and large. Uh, it was really painful to lose Laura Reinbold. I, I told Laura to her face a couple of times, every legislator, every Senate needs a Laura Reinbold. Right. But just one, you just, know. Uh, just one, right. Uh, well, we're coming up on the end here, uh, Roger. So we got about 45 seconds. I want to give you a chance to give us your quick elevator pitch and how do people find out about you? You know, um, I was I was sent here two years ago for change. I think we did some great things this year. We um, we we did the larger permanent fund dividend in this time of economic town downturn and uh, you know uncontrolled uh, uh, inflation. Uh, we we managed to get the Alaska Reads Act, the first substantive effort at education reform in Alaska. Uh, we did. Uh, I, I I think a lot of progress was made in spite of a. House leadership that didn't want to give the governor a single win on right. any topic. What's your What's your website address, Sir Roger, for folks out Hollandforalaska.com. there? Hollandforalaska.com. Hollandforalaska.com. Just spell out every word. And Facebook is Holland for the number four Alaska. All right, Senator Roger Holland, thank you so much for coming on board. Hold the line for us for just a second, folks. We got more coming up. Willie Keppel up next. The Michael Duke Show. I want to give you the last bite at the apple here, Roger. Um, just to uh, see if there's anything we didn't hit or things that we missed. Um, I mean, you're you're facing a tough race uh, because, again, all the business-as-usual Republicans are striking out against you because you would dare to tell the government to live within its means. And so you're, yeah. you're, facing, a, you're facing a tough situation here. Well, you know, it's uh, the, the other thing is a constitutional convention. Uh, I think that uh, you, you – I'm not a member of convention, yes, but I've spoken – uh, I actually got to talk against Kathy Geisel at one of the small community councils uh, last week, uh, and I spoke in favor of the Constitutional Convention. I think that, you know, so so much of what we face in in uh, Alaska, we we show that we can't get the fifty one percent vote to get anything done, much less the two thirds vote to get anything done. Right, and uh, I, we shouldn't be afraid of the uh, the con con. No, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I was very uh, reticent at the beginning uh, uh, to to tick that up. I was worried about the possibility, again, of opening up the Constitution and, and, you know, having some 'er ne'er-do-wells get in there and do it. But then I was was satisfied in the end that really people have to have the chance to vote on it. And so people will be the ultimate arbiter in the end. They will be the ultimate stopgap as to whether or not things get passed or things don't. And I don't think that there is the political will um, to I don't think there's a political will to fix the problems in the legislature. They don't they just there's not enough people in there who are willing to do it. And so I think it's going to be up to the people to have a say in that. That's why I changed my mind and came around to supporting the Constitutional Convention, because we need a constitutional spending cap. We need to enshrine the dividend. We need to change the way we manage our judicial system. I mean, there's there's things that that need to change in there. And there is just no will to get it done. Like you said, hard enough to get to 51, let let alone 60 plus percent of the legislators in those areas. Yeah, you know, it's uh, the 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 Constitutional Convention. It's uh, I think as a voter, I'm going to vote for it. But then as a legislator, it's going to be my job to step back and and let the citizens speak. I have a hard enough time explaining why we get nothing done in Juneau. I don't want to be the one explaining why we get nothing done at the Constitutional Convention. There will be there will be challenges with the Constitutional Convention as well. There'll be crazy marketing plans trying to help us pick the right delegates. And um, it's uh, it, it won't be easy and it won't be quick. But, uh, and the other thing is like the, the electoral process. I differ with 
Senator Shower on this. Um, I don't know that we're going to have the people in Juneau to get rid of ranked choice voting after this election cycle. We have a hard enough time doing anything else. Um, right. I think the, if we want to get rid of RCV, it's going to be a citizen's initiative or con con. Are you hearing that ranked choice voting is a problem for your constituency? Are they upset about it? I, I speak to a lot of people. I speak to some that uh, that voted for Nick Begich and did not vote for Palin only because they didn't know how that second bullet, that second vote was going to affect. It wasn't that they were against Palin necessarily, but many people voted in that election with the ballot and they, they didn't understand why they had to rank choice vote on one side of the page and pick one person on the other side of the page. They didn't realize that they were voting in two separate elections at that moment, right. the special Don Young and the regular Don Young election. Right. And yeah, it's very confusing. Rank choice voting is doing what it's designed to do. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. And I think it's, you know, the, the fact that you can't just simply hand count your ballots, um, you, you once again, and, and it's still, how does it take 15 days to get to the end of this process where we figure out, what, you know, who, who wins the race? Right. No, I mean, it's definitely, uh, definitely frustrating. I know a lot of people are, are agitated about it. And I know a lot of uh, candidates and current legislators have already started uh, crafting legislation to remove it. So I think it'll be interesting to say the least. Um, all right. Well, Roger Holland, I want to say thank you for coming on board. Uh, again, you did fine. Uh, you don't have to be, you're not an introvert. You're fine. You can do this. <laughs> and we welcome you back on the program more and more. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, um, thanks for coming on board and, uh, we will, uh, we'll see you again soon. And we hope that we hope that you do well in the, uh, in the upcoming election. Thanks so much. I do look forward to, I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have a fine time with the general election. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Roger Holland. We appreciate it. Uh, he, uh, we're going to go ahead and, uh, move on here and jump over to, um, Willie Keppel, who's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. Hopefully Willie, he's in the bush and we're hoping that he will have a, uh, we're hoping that he's going to have a, a good enough connection to be able to do this via video with us. Um, We've been uh, we've been we've been working on that. So hopefully Willie Keppel will be uh, joining us via video this morning. But we'll 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 see how that goes. We'll see we'll see what that looks like uh, in the long run. Uh, all right, <clears throat> what else have we got here? What what else have we got uh, going on here uh, in uh, in in the in the program? I guess that's it. I guess Willie Keppel is going to be. Uh, our next guest, and that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the what we're looking for here. Uh, don't forget that if you would like to help support the program, that you can find us um, over on Patreon. You could become a member of what we call the Common Sense Core. The Common Sense Core is our cool kids club. It is the uh, it's the it's the place that you go to to you know to help support the show financially and to hang out with like minds. We've got uh, the Common Sense Core has its own private Facebook group that you can use as well and uh, and be part of and uh, participate in, and we love that. So go over there again. You can go to patreon.com slash Michael Duke Show, patreon.com slash Michael Duke Show, and you can. Um, and you can and you can find it. You just go over there and and do your thing, and uh, for as little as a cup of coffee a day, uh, excuse me, a cup of coffee a month, not a day. I, who would I would not, I would not deny you your cup of coffee uh, per day, but but per per month, once a month, 
that would be that would be the way to go. So go check it out again. Uh, Patreon.com slash Michael Duke show uh, for your chance to uh, uh, to to do it to it. Just go over there and, and get it done. Um, all right. Uh, we have got uh, we've got to go. We, we're, we're at that point. We're at the time. Let's uh, get it going on. Uh, the Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. Welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live. We appreciate you guys uh, being part of it. The Thursday edition of the big radio show. And um, I would say that we are uh, I would say that we are ready, ready, willing and able to uh, to do this and uh, and and jump into it. We are talking to candidates and uh and we've got candidates as guests all morning today uh we just finished up with uh we just finished up with uh Roger Holland who is our guest for uh for Senate uh, for Senate candidate for district uh um, well, whatever district it was, District E. I can never remember. Good, it's going to take me a year to figure this out. For District E, and uh, we appreciate him uh, coming on board and uh, being part of it this morning. If you missed it, you can go back and you can catch it on the podcast. Uh, that's the best place to go and uh, and to and to check it out. And we uh, we appreciate you guys coming on board and. Uh, and listening to that, if you miss it on the podcast, uh, there was a problem I mentioned earlier yesterday with Apple Podcasts, and uh, they have now told me, no, 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 don't worry, uh, we've got it all. So they put the po- they they do have the podcast up right now, and uh, we should be we should be uh, we should be good to go. Uh, ideally, that's the that's the theory anyway, is that we should be good to go with the podcasts. And, uh, so you can find it on Apple podcasts, iTunes, Google play, Castbox, Stitcher. And of course my favorite, which is, uh, the Spotify. That's where you go out there and find, uh, and, and find the podcast. And if you subscribe, you can, uh, you know, it'll automatically download it. And from then on, it'll be there every day when you're, uh, when you're ready to go. Um, all right, we are uh, ready to jump into this here in just a second. We're waiting for um, Willie Keppel to be joining us. Willie is running for Senate 
out in the uh, out in the bush. He is uh, running uh, in the he's from Quinnahawk. It's the Bethel area. It's Senate District S. And Willie should be joining us uh, hopefully here. Uh, and just whoops, he was he was in the uh, he was in the uh, oh he was in the thing. Uh, Willie uh, he's in Quinnahawk, so he's having a hard time with the. Uh, He's having a hard time with the internet connection. We're using, uh, you know, we're trying to uh, broadcast um, uh, via video. We're trying to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and drop my phone number into Willie's message box there so he can just call on the phone because apparently we're going to have to do it by phone today. We can't be fancy uh, because I do. I broadcast the show every morning. I simulcast it on video. You can watch it on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch. Uh, you can go out there and watch it, and uh, with the new software that we got, uh, we we actually uh, have video. It's like a super secret Zoom conference with all these candidates, and you get a chance to see them on the uh, screen as you're listening to them. Um, and that is, of course, thanks to our friends uh, at the Common Sense Corps. They helped uh, support the show, and uh, you know, for the cost of less than a cup of coffee a month, you could become a member, help support the show, and those funds are used to do things like you know, hardware upgrades, computers, software, et cetera, et cetera. So, Willie, I have dropped that in your messages there on Facebook. You can go take a look at that. And uh, I've got the phone number right there. And uh, you can join us. Uh, you can join us uh, um, uh, by that as you go. Um, all right. So Willie Keppel will be calling in here in just a hot second. And we're going to uh, we're going to be talking with him about um, uh, about uh, all the good stuff that uh, that joins us. And in fact, he joins us right now. Good morning, Willie. How are you doing? Well, good morning. Sorry about the internet connection out here. Well, it's no part problem. That's part of, uh, you know what they say, my grandfather used to say all the time, life is tough in the tundra. Uh, so when you live out in the bush, sometimes it's hard and you don't get things like uh, super fast internet. And that's uh, that's understandable. So thanks for coming in and joining us. Um, Willie, uh, I want to uh, first let folks know who you are, where you are, where you came from. Give us a little bit of your background and tell us, um, you know, tell us uh, how you got to be where you're at. And then we'll dive into the political end of it. Well, I moved to Alaska in 1977 after I finished my time in the Army and drove semi for a couple of years. I decided, ah, time for something new, and Alaska was always on my list because I grew up in the Rocky Mountains in western Montana. So I came north and ended up multiple types of... uh, work but mainly oil field patch work where i was doing a lot of scheduled work winter time on drill rigs so i filled that in with my first love of life and that's hunting and fishing and ended up guiding and i guided a lot of places a lot of mountain ranges in this state and i ended up on the north side of the alaska range after a year on the um, Alaska Peninsula down here, we hit a cyclone come in, and it just hammered us, and I thought, there's better places than being out here on the flat tundra hunting moose. Uh, There's mountains over here, and I ended up going to the north side of the tundra range working on out of the Stony River, and we hunted pretty much super cubs, and and I stayed there with uh, a guide off of 
with a lodge just below Lyme Village, not too far from Lyme, and was there for a lot of years. And I'd moved to Bethel and I spent, uh, I was moved to Bethel in 87, and I fell in love with a little tundra flower. And, and she was from Quinnahawk, and so I ended up down here a lot. And uh, we ended up building a place down here, just small cabin, and still have the cabin. And it's what I'm living in now. But after uh, 27 years of Bethel, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself in that place much longer. It was just too expensive taxes and everything else. And believe it or not, there's you can if you live a subsistence lifestyle, you can live in a village, with the exception of buying fuel and groceries, pretty much cheaper than you can in Bethel. And I don't know. I've uh, just pretty much enjoyed it. I've always been wrapped up in politics. I fought and battled, uh, sat on Bethel City Council, numerous commissions and committees, volunteered tons and tons and tons of time through the years in Bethel. So this is no new adventure. Right. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about the ultimate. You know, what tipped you over? What was the tipping point? I mean, you uh, you got away from uh, you got away from Bethel. You got away from the big city. You got away from the politics of it in that regard. What made you decide to jump back into the jump back into the fray, so to speak, uh, in this uh, Senate district? Rake. What what was it? Was there a single thing? Was it a combination of things? What made you decide to take the leap back into uh, statewide politics? His name was Bill Walker, and <laughs> I moved, it was the same year I moved down here, and uh, we were met, we were mad at uh, Governor Parnell and Bethel because none of us Republicans out there wanted anything to do with a swimming pool. We knew it was a financial boondoggle, and it's proved to be exactly that. Bethel loses a million and a half bucks a year on their stupid swimming pool. Yet they have the highest rates for water and sewer in America. <laughs> and I just go, Walker or Parnell, we, you pushed me over the line here. And all of us hardcore Republicans all went and backed Walker when he was running as a Republican with a Republican lieutenant governor candidate. And uh, then all of a sudden, the big switcherooski in the middle of the campaign when he figured out he couldn't beat um, Parnell and uh, ended up with a, a lieutenant governor from the Democrats. And I'm going, now, you know, we all watched and we all saw, and all of a sudden, the guy that I'd actually donated money to as lieutenant governor when he came out to Bethel, we sat around the friend's house and we put a big yard fire out there in his fire pit. And, we had had hot dogs and cold beer and, and uh, heard one line and all of a sudden the whole ship turned around and was going exactly opposite direction here and the PFD theft started. That was the end of it and it was the end of the Republican Party with me. I thought it's same old same old deal with the Republicans. I mean, it's always been that way. No control over their own candidates and this was the last shot, you right. know, when, when the PFD started going away and then you had these guys out here that are hardcore leftist Democrats jumping on the bandwagon to 
steal the PFDs from what is collectively the poorest group of people in the state of Alaska. If you want to look at an area, I mean, this Senate District S goes from the tip of the Aleutians from down below ADAC all the way to the Yukon River. And the whole deal is, is there's hardly a hardly any paved road in the whole district. There's no roads between villages. I haven't even counted villages, but I believe something like 60 plus villages in here, which all are precincts and no way to communicate. And so four years, five years ago, I really got started getting into it. Once I realized the PFD theft was not going to go away. Right. And I started the Facebook mission out here and I campaigned completely different than any other um, candidate in the state. And it's because that's how logistics are. There's nobody, nobody that unless you're just ultra rich could ever afford to begin to fly to all the places right. that and, are out there. And that explains, of course, why you are a registered member now of the Alaska Veterans Party instead of the Republican Party. You feel like they're, the party abandoned you, and uh, that's why you chose to switch horses, so to speak? Well, exactly. Last, um, The Republican Party chairs have told us through, told our groups out here through the years, there's no money and there's no reason to back you guys. They're going to vote Democrat anyway. So there's never been any support from the, excuse me, from the Republicans anyway. So it didn't make much, you know, I mean, it was not a big leap to go, well, why even have an R in front of your name when you live in a Democrat side, you might as well switch over, you know? Um, to something different, but there was other, there was other breaks I had. Um, the Republicans were wanting to be able to jerk my strings and say, well, how about Pebble Mine? We're kind of pretty much in favor of Pebble Mine. And I'm going, well, I'm not in favor of Pebble Mine. None of my friends are in favor of Pebble Mine, and they're the ones that elect me. Um, No, no thank you there. And so to get stuck into a party that is going to try to probably punish you because we've all watched what happened to Senator Schauer and uh, Senator Hughes when when they didn't knuckle under um, and and vote the party the party line there well the binding caucus line and it didn't make sense to tie myself into that when there's no there's no reason to even run if you're going to say you're in favor of Pebble or Donlin out here which I'm not but I'm also smart enough to know that sooner or later they're going to have mines out here, whether anybody likes it or not. And I think people are waking up to that fact that Western Alaska is going to get raped, pillaged, and plundered for the mineral resources that are out here. And it's another reason to get involved. I, I don't believe that Alaska has a 3% royalty on mine minerals. Well, right. 3% is not enough to risk anything, in my opinion. Third world countries make a whole lot more. And you can take a fine example right now is uh, just look at Red Dog Mine up here outside of Cottsview, which is not our district. It's the northern district up there. But that's private. That is private property underneath. Same as what Donald and mine 
at Crooked Creek on the Cusquim is going to be. It's native corporation properties. They're getting a 20% royalty. Right. And and the way the, na- way the native corporations have this set up is the way it's set up is, is that that 20%, their 20% of royalties get split with all of the, all of the big native corporations. What is there? Seven of them or something. They all share in it. Any, any corporation, native corporation that hits a, a resource revenue land, um, gold mine, so, so to speak, Puts the shares with all the rest of the regional corporations, so every all all of them have a benefit in the resources, right? Well, they're running out. They're running out of minerals at Red Dog up there, and naturally, they have all this this infrastructure up there, twenty miles out to the coast of where they can load up their ore to ship it elsewhere down in the in the South Pacific somewhere to get um, smelted out. And what they found, the geologists have found some real promising um, ore deposits close to Red Dog, but they're on state property. Right. And so here all of a sudden, here's here's a mining company that's going to go over and put a land claim on, a mining claim on state property that's been paying 20% to, to the native corporations, and all of a sudden is only going to be responsible for 3% of the mine. That's all they're right. going to have. Well, and I've said I've said for years, Willie, that we need to re we need to readdress the whole mining issue and the severance tax on minerals for sure. Uh, we're going to continue with Willie Keppel here in just a moment. GOP candidate, excuse me, uh, candidate on the Alaska Veterans Party for District S. We're going to be back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Sorry about that. We were uh, coming up on the break and we have uh, we had uh, uh, to hit it there. Let me go back up here and see what some of the folks here are saying. Laura says, I don't think you give us, <laughs> I don't know. Laura says she doesn't think that anybody gives two cents about what any of us, about anything about any of us. Apparently she didn't like you sitting around a fire deciding what happens to us. That wasn't what Willie just described. So I don't know exactly what you heard, Laura, but that was not what Willie was describing. So there you go. <laughs> Um, uh, Cindy Myers asks, Willie, how do you feel, uh, the state of Alaska is doing in regard to child protection out there? She says, I'm constrained. I'm extremely concerned for the abused children in that area of the state. Tell me what you think about the issue. And I'm assuming she means the Bush. So Willie, I'll let you sound off on child protection and OCS and, uh, and abused children. What is the state's role? What is, what are your thoughts on how the state's handling that? Well, I've been following um, Holly Sheldon's um, webpage and the, and the battles they've been going through with OCS 
out there at Tall Keaton and the Matt Valley and all across Alaska, actually. And I don't think it's any different out here than what it appears to be everywhere else in the state. I think there is a lot of abuse. But then on the other hand, I have um, a friend that worked an entire career out here working for OCS and I know the guy put everything he had in to try and do everything that was right. And I've never, I've never heard all of the horror stories in person that some of the people have been here. And so, um, I'm sure like any other government agency, there's always room for improvement, but I don't, I don't know. I, I can't speak to anything specific on, you know, how bad OCS is. Do you, you think, know. I mean, we know that the uh, that the rate of abuse in the villages uh, seems to be higher, uh, you know, according to the numbers, than anywhere else. I mean, are you seeing them in the villages? Has OCS been out there? Has there been stories about? I mean, what, what you know, what's your what's your anecdotal experience on that? Well, OCS will come to the villages and and pick up kids, but for the most part, I think the villages operate they operate different i mean everything out here operates different than living on the south side of the alaska range in urban alaska there's not there's not much you can compare to be the same and the villages have have more of a family a family um net that they can fall back into because everybody in the villages one way or another has got family ties and if it isn't this village, it'll be the villages on both sides. And it seems the state tries its best to keep the kids within the families out here. And families are always stepping up. I mean, there's lots of grandparents raising grandchildren. So I think, yeah, you know, I, I the abuse I, that comes from out here probably is probably alcohol. And you just get people get stupid when they get drunk and that happens everywhere. So I don't know. I just don't see it worse out here than it is anywhere else. Uh, Willie Keppel's our guest veteran state candidate for district S. Uh, let me go back to the chat room here to see if there's anything else. Um, um, Cindy says she's going to call you directly because she has specifics. She worked out there. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, I want to talk when we return here, Willie, we're going to jump back into this. I want to talk a little bit about the state budgets and what you're fighting for out there, the PFD and things like that, because I think the PFD is, uh, I, I would say arguably is more important to rural Alaska than almost anywhere else, because especially in a place that is cash poor, you know, economy wise, um, it has the, you know, it has a disproportionate impact when it's taken from folks out there. Is that, this is a quick, quick, quick answer. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No. And I think, I think it's important for them. So we'll, uh, we'll get back to it here and we'll talk about it. Willie Keppel is our guest. We're going to continue the Michael Duke show. Please like and share this show, like, and follow the video, follow and share and YouTube and Twitch and do all the things. Let's jump into it. Here we go. Common Sense Radio. Let's do it.
We're continuing now with Willie Keppel, who is our guest. He is a Veterans Party candidate for state Senate. In District S, which is the rural communities, uh, Bethel, all the way down from the tips of the Aleutian for you folks listening on Adak and Dutch Harbor, uh, all the way up to the Yukon River. He joins us this morning, and we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about uh, the budgets. We're going to talk about the PFD. We're going to talk about more of that. Now, the PFD obviously is a big issue. Uh, you know, Bill Walker's responsible for breaking that dichotomy for sure. You mentioned earlier that you you jumped into politics because of Bill Walker, um, but the PFD has a disproportionate effect of, uh, on people in the rural communities because they're so you know the cash economy is so small out there that an injection of monies in the thousands of dollars per person really makes a huge difference. And when that is cut down to a few hundred or only a thousand dollars, it really has a tremendous impact on those folks. So what's your position on the PFD, Willie? What should we be doing? Uh, and and what are you seeing out there as far as impact goes? Well, I'm 100% following statutory law. And I've been Paul. I follow the legislature daily when they're in session for years. And it's come to the point where I don't know whether they'll ever, ever get back to a full PFD statutory wise without a constitutional convention. Um, there's absolutely no way the politicians are ever going to allow us to vote on it. I mean, just last year, as a matter of fact, we had Lyman Hoffman, that's who I'm running against, finally has this big photo op with Governor Dunleavy and a bunch of bunch of um, staunch rep- um, supporters of the PFD, legislators. And they're supporting the 50-50 plan, PFD-PCE plan, which would have put it into the Constitution. Well, all of a sudden, that that all kind of fell apart with a court order saying, well, no, Lyman Hoffman's PCE fund is uh, protect. That's a protected fund at $1.2 billion out there. So all of a sudden Lyman didn't need to go to the voters to protect his PCE. It never was about the PFD that he was worried about. Um, he's he's going to steal that irregardless. Bryce Edgman, um, I mean, that guy speaks for himself on the PFD. <laughs> you know, he's out of Dillingham, and he's anti-PFD every inch of the way. Uh, we've had Tiffany Zolkowski that is an employee of YKC, mental, um, the host, native hospital out here. That was their go-fetch'em dog that YKC got elected in District 38 to go down and get on health and social services, which she did, and she brought him back tons of money. And her whole goal in life has been to eliminate the PFD. I mean, it's the corporations out here that are so invested with a business plan that is government dependent that they're the ones fighting the PFD. And for the average villager out here, they don't have news. I mean, just like right now, I can't even communicate with you folks like everybody else does normally with a computer. 
You know, I'm, I'm lucky to have computer service where we're at out here. And so to try and get the news to all the villages is like a near impossibility because they don't even have radio stations. They don't, they don't follow anything. I mean, our life is around subsistence out here and whoever's running the native corporations, they have the money, they, put out the flyers and they tell everybody who the really wonderful people are. Well, the wonderful people, the way for them are the ones that are stealing the PFD and pumping the money into the nonprofits uh, and the unions for the school districts and stuff. So that's why it's hard to get anything passed. It's why I've changed complete tactics on trying to spend money in a campaign. No, that don't work. I'm over 3,700 people on my friends list out here. I put a post out. It's probably going 15 or 17 different places to different villages. They all have for sale places on their, on their uh, Facebook posts. I've been allowed to go in there. I've been accepted with, Hey, we're going to get the real, some real news here. Right. And even though, I'm not selling something. Right. I'm selling the truth, and they're letting me do this when everybody else gets booted off, and that's right. how I'm communicating. Right. Uh, Willie Keppels, our guest veteran state candidate for Senate District S. Willie, I know that you're on record as saying you want to see, uh, you know, the cost of living in the in the bush, you know, decrease and diminish. Um, and the question that I have is because I've seen a lot of uh, this attempt to make, um, you know, rural life as easy as it is in the urban areas. Um, and of course in the urban areas, it's easier because of, you know, the, the, it's the quantity of people and, and everything else and all this. Are you saying that you want to see rural life become easier and more affordable through state spending, through efficiencies, through local taxation? What is your, what's your point here? Efficiency, absolutely efficiency. And that means, um, Changing the way we use PCE, power cost equalization. The way PCE is set up right now, it depends on how many kilowatts of electricity your residential house burns. And they subsidize that. Every village is different because it costs more money to get to some than others. So your percentage is different. Here, it's, I think, 25 cents a kilowatt gets reimbursed from the PCE fund. But that money goes strictly to out here. It's AVAC, and there's Alaska Village Electric Co-op, and there's, I don't know, 30-some villages, I think, in it. And they get the money, and they turn right around, and they pass that money straight to the fuel supplier. And so... You, what are you doing? You're not regulating fuel out here. Nobody's keeping an eye on what the what the charges and the costs are. So you're having a straight government pass through to somebody that could be just pumping the price up and going, wow, government's really stupid. They're even giving me free money on top of it to charge you more than what it really should be charged. And that's where we're at. Uh, my Facebook post yesterday was a lot of villages out here. There's it's rocking and rolling right now because most places out here are pushing the nine dollar a gallon deal in the villages. Once you get away from the main hubs, people are unhappy. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the reason they the reason they're unhappy is because we're still using last century's technology to get our fuel out here. 
a half wit would understand that when it takes ten days with a barge, once you get once you leave Bethel, it takes ten days with a barge to go to Nikiski, turn around and come back. That's when the weather is really good. Ten ten days of windshield time just to get fuel back and forth. Right. You should be coming straight across the Alaska Peninsula, build some pipelines. I want a railroad line because I'm looking into the future. We're pumping millions of dollars into Nome right now for a deep water port. Why? Well, because they know cruise ships are going to be coming around the top of Alaska, top of Canada, from the Atlantic into the into the into the northern northern seas here um things are changing and it's time to move on the if you build a railroad line or a road either way you could have all the supplies by barging them straight from anchorage straight across or if they get it together and get the docks over on the matsu side over there put together you could actually build a railroad line from there and wrap it all the way around but the point is is that over 70 million gallons of fuel come out here every year and that was that was from numbers 15 years ago 10 years ago maybe there's tons and tons of fuel coming with a lot more going to be needed if you want to have industry out here which we all know is coming all these mines they're looking at spending over a billion dollars to build a gas line from cook inlet to donnellan mine which is in the middle of nowhere middle of the cusquim they want to spend a billion just to run a gold mine for to have pumped gas for electricity well, why not just instead bring the damn line right straight across the Alaska Peninsula along with the railroad line, and then when you need freight to western Alaska, and we're talking lots of freight, I mean, all the all the schools come by barge. You build a new school, you build a building, you build anything out here, it comes by barge. Why not? Why not cut over a week of barge time, which is expensive freight time, right. by just... Moving it right straight from Anchorage. Sure. What? How far? How far is it? Right across Cook Inlet from you over there, you know, and come right into Iliamna. They already have a road that goes over over the hump to Iliamna Lake. Just continue punching it across along with some fuel lines, and you will have lowered the cost of living in Lower Alaska. That's what PCE was designed to do. It never was designed to be a government subsidy for higher prices for the fuel companies right. that delivered. It was supposed to out. To, it was supposed to build out commensurate uh, infrastructure to what the rural com- or the urban communities had, so they could lower the overall cost of fuel. It wasn't meant to be a subsidy. Again, I. I agree with that totally. Uh, Willie, we're coming up here on the end, though, so I want to give you the last uh, couple minutes here uh, for your elevator pitch, why people should vote for Willie Keppel in District S, and how do folks find out more about you, et cetera, et cetera. Go ahead. Well, I'm on Facebook. Just look for Willie with a spelled with a Y, Keppel, standing there with three wolf hides. Climb on. It's my private page, and that's exactly where I'm probably pretty much fixing to stay. Join in. Nobody ever gets banned off of it. I don't ban anybody. Um, that's pretty much where you can find me. And I guess you got to get your neighbors out here. If you have friends in Western Alaska, you have to convince them that they have to go vote. 
Otherwise, nothing's ever going to change, and the PFD is going to go away. Lyman's looking at being there for 40 years retirement. He told friends of mine in Bethel here uh, when he finally moved back into Bethel for a summer vacation there in the middle of June that people owe him another four years so he can retire. Well, I think that's the wrong attitude. Lyman has never been to a village in years and years and years. Holds no uh, public meetings to be able to go down and express your beefs. He, he does nothing. He's he's not connected. He is strictly corporate Ivy Tower, and that's it. So if you want change, you have to vote. And it, that goes for everywhere in Alaska, not just out here, too. But other than that, whatever you do, please rank the red in this next congressional district because I guarantee you I've known Mary Peltola over 30 years. You do not want her in Washington, D.C. She will take your guns. She'll do anything for power. That's what she is. That's who she's always been. And she's a Democrat. All right, right, Willie. Well, thank you so much for calling in this morning. We appreciate you being part of it. We look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future, and good luck out there, okay? Well, thank you very much, and have a great morning, Western Alaska, all of Alaska. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Willie Keppel, veteran state candidate for District S. All right, one final segment coming up on the show. We're going to go ahead and uh, crank open the phone lines and give you guys a chance to sound off. See what you have to say. And uh, we may hit a few headlines, etc. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now, uh, and we are. Uh, I guess I'm going to do that. Uh, we're going to uh, continue on and take some phone calls from you. Let me uh, let me launch the phone lines here so that we can. Uh, all be part of it together. We can all kumbaya together and go over everything that we need. Um, do that right now. All right. Ah, look at that. Look at that. Phone lines are now open. Uh, and we will say thank you to the friends at Satellite West for sponsoring the uh, phone lines as well. 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you would like to be part of it, that's where you uh, go to get it done. Um, all right. Um, thank you, Willie. Thank you. Thank you. Rank the red. Um, this is something that I've thought about. I mean, this is just kind of one of those random shower thoughts, but Deshana was reading my mind when she said... Uh, uh, I was involved with a conference years ago that was looking at airships for delivery to rural Alaska. It was a cool idea. Uh, and I have often – I had a conversation here a few years ago with a guy that was – he was an airship fanatic. Uh, I mean, dirigibles and things like that. He was like, this is where – if you're looking for remote um, logistics and construct, this is the way to do it. And I thought it was a fascinating idea. Now, uh, 
Uh, I don't know if it pencils out or anything else, but I mean, again, looking outside the box, you know, maybe it's not a railroad at at a you know whatever it is a million dollars a mile for a railroad. Maybe it's uh, maybe it is a, a an airship uh, a cargo thing, or I don't know. It's we, we got to look outside. But this is again, this is just kind of an off-topic thought. But I I agreed to Shane. I thought that was uh, I saw something like that, and this guy was talking about that big time. He was talking about rural logistics, and said uh, this is something that we should all be looking at. Um, and the airship technology has come a long way just in the last uh, I don't know ten years or so. So kind of an interesting uh, kind of an interesting discussion. Um, all right. Um, Let's see, Carolyn, um, Veterans Party would not have been able to run under the old system. Just to make sure you vote for candidates that will support your issues. Who do you know that supports due process for families? Um, Again, I mean, I guess that is one silver lining is that Keppel is on the ballot because uh, of the ranked choice voting. That is one of the, I guess that's the one silver lining I've seen so far in ranked choice voting is that Willie Keppel was able to uh, fight against that uh, as well. Um, all right, Gold Zeppelin uh, Zora uh, over on uh, on uh, YouTube has said Gold Zeppelin. I don't know what that is, uh, unless you're talking about shipping gold on a Zeppelin. I don't know what the logistics of that are, but uh, very cool stuff. Again, we got to think outside the box. We got to think outside the box here uh, for what's going on. Uh, in the state of Alaska, it's the only way we're going to, I mean, we, we still have some of the most remote locations in the world in this state, and we're trying to provide services to them um, as if they are in a, uh, in an urban community. And I think that's, that's part of our, it's part of our challenge here. And it's of course part of the cost of why it's part of the, why the state's costs are so high at this point. Um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, let's see. Um, I see somebody's running down Republicans again all day. Um, why does Keppel's district vote blue? Asked Politodick. Bethel and surrounding communities all depend upon the state's welfare programs for their survival. No jobs, double the cost of food, electricity, fuel, oil. Prove me wrong. I mean, this has been part of my problem. I mean, this is, this is something that I've said for a long time. People live in rural communities uh, because obviously many of them are born and raised there, but they, you know, they want to embrace the lifestyle and everything else. But at the same time, they're demanding the same services uh, and and same amenities that you would receive in a in a urban area. And I think that's where the problem is. Um, if you're going to live in a rural community, you should expect that your lifestyle is not going to be the same as it would be in the big city. Uh, you know. You may not have reliable power. You may not have running water. You may not have a lot of those things. But because the state had so much money at one point that they decided to try and put all these things together, they have created what I expect, I would say, is kind of unrealistic expectations for many of these areas because they don't have the economy to be able to support those things. So then they are dependent more and more on government for those things. And that's the problem. That's what creates that state and cycle of dependency. And I think that's been part of the problem in the rural communities for many, many years. Um, it's it's uh, it, it, it's it's a frustrating thing. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's see. Here comes the blame on the immigrants and the mine. I wasn't blaming anybody. 
I mean, it's a, it's a it's a fact of what's going on. I'm not putting blame on anybody. I'm just saying it's a fact. Um, apparently, the expert is in the room, ladies and gentlemen. So feel free to uh, to to talk with him because he's always right, no matter what. All right, we got to go over here and uh, jump back to it. Let's get with it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming in and joining us. We appreciate you being part of it. Uh, final segment for today. Don't forget, tomorrow is Firearms Friday. We are expecting um, Rob Pincus to be joining us from the PDN Tour, the Personal Defense Network Tour. He's an instructor, uh, combat arms trainer, uh, founder of ICE Training as well. And uh, he's going to be joining us uh, to talk about the state of firearms and everything else. So it's going to be a fun discussion tomorrow on firearms. And it's Firearms Friday. I mean, how could nothing you couldn't go. You can't go wrong with Firearms Friday. That's for sure. Phone lines are open for this morning. Uh, Final segment of the show. I thought we'd see what you guys had to say on. Well, you could talk about the candidates, pros, cons. Anything you heard today, whatever you're interested in, 907-378-8499, excuse me, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you want to uh, get on board and join us, we'll do that right now. we got one line on hold, so we'll go over there and uh, we'll, just, uh, we'll just chit-chat with you up until the end of the hour. How about that? Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Randy in Fairbanks. Good morning, Randy. What's on your mind? Oh, I just wanted to say you were certainly right yesterday when I called you and you talked and we were talking about the the original 1980 PFP statute that was passed in 1980. Now we have the 1982 statute that's in effect. Uh, But you were right when you said that the uh, because of the suit that the Zobels, which were newly arrived attorneys, a couple uh, of uh, Ron and Penny Zobel. Uh, they struck, they uh, sued, and then it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided that the uh, that 1980 statute was in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and so then they had to rework it, and they came out with a 1982 plan, which gave equal amounts of uh, PFP to new arrivals as well as long-term Alaskans, and uh, you were correct about that, and uh, um, however, I've always felt that uh, new arrivals don't deserve as big of a PFD as as you do. For instance, you've been here 50 plus years. I've been here about 50 years. I'm older than you, but, but that was in other places also. But anyway, um, that that's the whole idea of this idea that I've had called the Hammond Bond. Nowhere in the Hammond Bond statute would it mention anything about giving more to a longer term resident than to new guy. All it says, and you can read about it. You can see my Hammond picture of my Hammond Bond certificate that I drew up on my website, which is pfdbudget.com. Uh, and anyway, the idea is that you just pay $5 uh, for a Hammond Bond, and the next year this bond will mature, 
and we'll pay you $50 and $50 every year thereafter. And every year you can buy another Hammond bond and it treats everybody the same from the onset because the problem with the original 1980 PFD statute is that it was retroactive. Right out of the gate, they gave a 20-year resident, or planning to give a 20-year resident, a $1,000, $50 for every year of residency, whereas a one-year resident, would, like the Zobels, would only get $50. And, of course, that made the Zobels mad. They wanted just as much of that moolah as, <laughs> as a sourdough would get. So, so my idea is that it treats everybody the same. A 50-year resident can pay $5, get a Hyman bond, right. a... Uh, a uh, new arrival. Anyway, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I just, again, I, I think that what you have is you, you have a solution looking for a problem. We already have a solution. The solution is, is that we should be following the original statute and that would fix this problem. That's the thing. You're, you're creating a, a very convoluted system to try and fix uh, something that uh, ostensibly, I mean, it's broken now only because they're not following the law. If they followed the law, this wouldn't be an issue. Uh, you don't need to create a new convoluted system to circumvent that. Not that they would ever support it anyway, because the whole point here, Randy, is that they love having access to that money. Your Hammond bond would crash and burn because it would take money out of their fingers, and they don't like that. That's the whole point of this. If we followed the law, this would all be solved. Randy, thank you for your call. we got to go over here. We're going to the next one. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Uh, good morning, Mike. This is Mike up here in Fairbanks. Good morning. And uh, I just want to talk about the last candidate, Willie. Yes. Um, yeah, he. Yeah, I like his ideas, uh, but he he speaks two different things. He doesn't like the pebble mine, but he wants to build roads and railroad tracks throughout the state, which is a, I think is a good thing. This state is as big as a continent, and you cannot. You're not going to be able to access our our beautiful country up here, or the mineral resources, unless we get access to it. Uh, and I was just wondering, Mike, is there a way for the Alaska Constitution to be changed or amended to, to say that no foreign countries can mine our minerals? Because we have to have, I don't care what anybody says, we have to have minerals and metal and, and petroleum to survive. It's just it is what it is. It's a fact. We're not going to get away from it. And I say let's control our environment, if that's what you're worried about, the ESG, too. Let's control that by mining with our own people right here in Alaska and down in the lower 48. I don't know if there could be some kind of protectionism clause put into the Constitution that would prevent foreign companies from doing it. I don't know. And I don't know if I would agree with it, Mike. I mean, again, if foreign companies are willing to come in and do it, as long as we I mean, as long as we address the severance tax or the mineral rights tax uh, on that and get it to a commencement. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's way too low. Three percent is insane, as Willie pointed out. When in other places they're getting, you know, 10, 15, 20 percent, um, as long as we address that, uh, right. to me, it wouldn't matter who owned the project, uh, because for the most part, even companies that are foreign owned are still hiring local folks to run those places for, you know, maybe not in the management, but in the in the, you know, the 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 rank and file workers. You're still seeing that. It still helps build out our infrastructure. So you may be able to put a clause well, in there, I but, but I don't I well, don't know if it would make uh, sense to, you know, put those protectionist clause in there. Well, I, I know what you're saying, Mike. It it does it does benefit, but not to the extent 
that that it could have. It's like it's like uh, you're only getting one bite of the watermelon, and I I really don't like that. And I've noticed that down in the Bakken, where my family half my family lives, they're burning off all their gas on flares. They're, you go out at the night sky and look at the night sky. There's ten thousand flares out there. They're burning the gas. They won't let them build a gas line there to connect. And I will the gas line ever go through up here, Mike, especially yeah, you know. <laughs> with Biden's quote. Uh, trillion dollar infrastructure bill which not as far as i know not one penny has been spent yet are right. we ever going to build a gas line well I, I think that that that's the million dollar or the billion multi-billion dollar question mike i'm not sure would it benefit us yes would it benefit the 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 company and energy dependence yes is it feasible is it economically feasible are they ever going to allow it i don't know i can hope but I just don't know, Mike. Thank you for your call. We got uh, just over a minute and a half here. Time for one more call. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Mike. Hey, this is Cindy from Sterling. Hey, Cindy, what's on your mind? I wanted to uh, follow up. Morning. I know I don't have much time, but I wanted to on Willie's conversation and kind of the discussion. I, it seemed like it was kind of going like urban versus rural again. Um, I don't, I hate that. I absolutely hate that. I live, Alaska just needs to figure it out. They need to figure out how to balance the budgets and how to provide services to the people in rural Alaska. I worked for children's services out in the bush. Right. We have children in need of aid out in the bush communities of the state that don't get seen regularly when they're in foster care. We have foster care uh, families that don't get seen. This is an epidemic. This yeah. is an absolute epidemic. Well, it's something that we need to focus on for sure. Cindy, I'm sorry I'm out of time. Folks, we will see you tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Be kind, love one another, live well. Uh, sorry about that, Cindy. We were up against the break. We got to go. All right, folks. Well... It's uh, it's time. It's time to get back to it. Folks, I appreciate you coming on board. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and uh, have a real uh, uh, have a real fun time, a good conversation in the morning. Always thought provoking. I appreciate you guys being here. Don't forget to like and share the show. Don't forget to uh, check us out on Patreon if you haven't done that yet. It's the one way that you can help support the show directly for as little as, as I said, a cup of coffee a month. You can be part of the Common Sense Core. Go check it out. MichaelDukeShow.com. Click on Join the Core or go to Patreon.com slash MichaelDukeShow. Thanks, folks. Thanks, friends. We'll see you tomorrow, okay? We will have a, uh, we're going to have a good time. Enjoy your day. We'll see you.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.